welcome to Enterprising, a podcast from Enterprise Bank and Trust that's empowering business leaders, one conversation at a time. We'll hear from different business leaders about how they've found success in cultivating their professional networks and keeping them healthy and strong. I'm your host, Alana Mueller, an entrepreneurial executive leader whose primary focus is to connect, inspire, and empower community. We at Enterprise Bank and Trust thank you for tuning in to another episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of Enterprising Podcast. So great to have you here today. I'm so pleased to welcome my guest. Alan Peltier is CEO of HRE Wheels, which designs, engineers, and manufactures wheels for racing, performance, luxury cars, and SUVs, which are sold through select high-end car dealerships, specialty retailers, and performance companies worldwide. Alan, welcome to Enterprising Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's exciting. Um, so glad you're here. I want to dive right in. And so I take it you're a car guy, huh? Uh, Yeah. I've yeah, been a car yeah. guy since I was a little kid. There's a picture of me. I'm like five and I'm in my big plastic toy car. And I'm an engineer. So when I was a kid, Hot Wheels and Legos were kind of oh, yeah. like my two go-to toys. And Star Wars came out. So Star Wars shaped my so life. So great. You know, <laughs> but I like all things that move. Cars, planes, motorcycles, all of it. <laughs> I want to hear more about this. I want you to tell our listeners more about HRE Wheels and what led you to join the company where you actually worked your way through the organization. I know you started in design, then engineering, then production, and eventually executive management. So as a car guy, I bet this was like the dream come true, huh? Kind of, yeah. I was up in LA and I was working for uh, Northrop Grumman. I was in aerospace. It was super cool doing really high tech stuff and neat work, but I really wanted to work for a smaller company where I could help shape the culture. And HRE, I was seeing them in the Porsche magazine. I saw their ads. I was like, I'm going to reach out to them, see if they need an engineer. And I did. And this is back way back in 1999. And it turned out that they did. And the CEO contacted me right away. And a couple of weeks later, I had a new job and it was a big change. I went from working, you know, a normal eight hour day to 14, 16 hour days and working six days a week and very stressful. There was only 14 of us back then. So it was pretty crazy, Wow! but it's been wonderful. And I did get to help shape that culture. And, and now as CEO, yeah, obviously that's my main responsibility. And so right. It, I'll tell you, it was pretty hard <laughs> for I've, 10 years. I've it was had, pretty rough. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, what's so amazing is that you had kind of the audacity to place that call or to reach out to the company. What made you do it? Is it just that you were so inspired or interested in what they were offering? What led you to actually place that call? Their marketing actually was pretty impressive for a small company back then. I knew they were tiny, but they looked like they had potential. And it looked like a company that was probably the size where I could come and actually make a difference. I was a great employee at Northrop Grumman, but I was one of tens of thousands of employees and I just wasn't making a difference. And I wanted to really be at a place where I could make an impact. And it turned out that they needed me more than I realized. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, at least back then, they probably don't need me much anymore, but uh, they needed me a lot back then. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I just think it's so cool. I mean, so frequently we hear about people, you know, they see perhaps a job posting. They're like, oh my gosh, this job posting, this was designed for me. Or gosh, I would love to work for this company. And, you know, despite kind of this challenge that we're facing in the market right now, where 
we don't have enough of a workforce to fill the needs. Often the jobs that people want specifically are not available. So the fact that you actually made that call is just so cool. And actually, I want to focus for a minute on your role as CEO. One of the things that you shared with me that you've been particularly focused on is managing your internal network and really focusing on team and culture, which you've already mentioned here today. Talk a little bit about how you actively maintain your relationships with HRE Wheels Associates and how that shapes your daily interactions. I think the most important thing for me is not to be a manager. It's not to be the boss to tell people what to do. I'm here and to give you some sense, our culture is based on trust. And that means you obviously have to, we have to trust our integrity and our intentions and all of that. That one's the easy one. The other one is we need to trust that people are going to execute and get the job done. And for me, I think transitioning from being in a manager to being a leader, you, you have to realize that people have to want to follow you. And that means they have to really trust me. I'm just not out there barking orders at people. I don't do that anymore. And my job is to inspire them and to make sure that if they're motivated to bring it and they walk through that front door, that we don't kill that motivation while they're here. You know, you spend so much time at work and I want it to be someplace they love. And so the easiest thing is for to them to come in and have to work in a culture that they don't like and that that will kill your morale. And so if they walk out the door like, oh man, I really don't want to come back. Well, I'm failing at my job. So my main responsibility is to create a culture where they come in wanting to work hard, that they walk out that door wanting to come back tomorrow again and work hard. And the easiest way to do that is make sure they're working with wonderful people. And so, you know, you're talking about hiring people and how it's hard to find. It's really hard for us because we're really picky. You have to really fit into that culture. And my main responsibility is reinforcing that culture. So, and that's not always being the bad guy. Sometimes it's, you know, often they know they can believe in me. They also forgive me. And that's the neat thing about trust. When you have a culture based on trust is we all make mistakes, but when we make mistakes and we trust each other, we know the intentions were true. And so we forgive each other. And that goes a long, long way. And that's that honesty and integrity and everything. It, it makes all the difference. Well, I mean, they give you grace, which we don't hear a lot about that anymore, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, well, my team gives me a lot of grace. I wish I could say I don't make mistakes. And, you know, when I make mistakes, they're expensive <laughs> mistakes. So they, not only do they forgive me, they don't hesitate to call me out. So my management team, they trust me. They know that they can blatantly and openly disagree with me on stuff because if they believe in it, they know they're not going to get punished for that or anything like that. It, this is not about me. This is about us making the best company we can. And if, if it was all about me, we would have topped out a long time ago. Yeah, I totally get that. One of the things that you said is you were talking about fit, like kind of cultural fit. And so it strikes me, you're not just looking for engineers. This is not just about functional expertise, which I suspect there is some degree of functional expertise that's required, or, you know, so educational background, some sort of experience set but that there's more of a, there's a character play here. It's about character. It's about fitting in. It's about being part of the team. And that seems like a more difficult thing to interview for or even to recruit for, right? 100%. Because you can look at a resume and you can see somebody's skill set, right? And you have a pretty good sense. Okay, they're going to bring the skills, but are they really going to fit into that culture? And we're very open and honest with them when during the interview. Like, I'm sorry, but if you don't fit in, you're not going to be here. 
And oftentimes, we actually struggle with engineers in particular and, and senior machinists because they have a lot of skills. They come in with a lot of knowledge and they're smart people. And they're used to having this, hey, I have this on my resume, you need to respect me. And it's like, there's a difference between treating someone through respect and respecting them. We don't know them yet. And so respect is earned and that's earned through, once we trust them, we obviously respect them. And so they've got to get that part first. And sometimes those guys that are more technical, that have those more technical skills, aren't used to that. And they often don't stay. So that's really difficult for us. But the people that do stay here forever. Well, when you fit, you love it. <laughs> and you said when you joined, there were about 14 employees. How many employees do you have now? 45. Wow. So <laughs> so there's been an increase. There's been an increase. Yeah, yeah, it, for sure. And our revenues increased you know, about 20 times. So it's yeah. significantly, we're still a small company, but it's definitely much more professional and bigger than it was. And our stature in the industry is obviously much changed. Right. I mean, so 20 times revenue, three times employee base. Yeah. I suspect that that's also come with more machining, more, more uh, technology. Yeah. Right? yeah. We have a lot of machines. There's no doubt. And unfortunately, our wheels are large. And so when we buy a new machine, it's a big machine. And so when we make an investment in it, we just made one and it was it's about a million dollar investment. So it, it's... We wish we made small parts because we make like a lot of those, you know. <laughs> we make these really big parts. It's really hard, yeah. really expensive. Smaller facilities, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to I want to talk about more about machines, but I don't want to talk specifically yeah. about HRE. I want to I want to ask about your hobbies. Uh oh. <laughs> I heard you have a variety of personal interests that run the gamut from motorcycles to martial arts to airplanes and flying. And that not only do you have a pilot's license, but that you're actually building your own airplane, which I find a slightly terrifying, but I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was COVID, right? And so yeah. we're all sitting around. What should we do? A lot of people are being very productive, learning new languages and or reading, reading and reading and reading books. And I was working actually, but I still was like, hey, you know, what can I do? And... I started watching these videos, these people building airplanes. And I was like, huh, I want to do that. I want to build an airplane. <laughs> so you're saying there's a YouTube video for that too. Oh, yeah, there's tons. Saying. There's tons. Uh. And the problem is, you, I, I'll get to that in a second. You got to be a little careful well, because you can't follow everything they do. Because I watch a lot of people, I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You know, I'm an engineer and, and people aren't necessarily engineers that are building airplanes. And so I see stuff all the time on YouTube. I'm like, whoa, I'm not doing that. <laughs> So I take it uh, this is not like you don't go buy like super glue and plastic, no. right? Okay. Yeah, no, for sure. So <laughs> the plane I'm building is all riveted together. So it's aluminum and everything's riveted. But I was sitting there thinking, oh, man, I really want to build an airplane. Well, I should probably learn how to fly first, right? Good idea. <laughs> so I just recently got my uh, pilot's license like back in May. And so that took about a year. And I ordered the plane, though, before that. And so the kit took about a year to come in and it just came in in August. So I ordered it last August, the backlog, everybody with COVID, wow. wanted plane. everybody wanted to build an airplane. <laughs> so it wasn't a you, unique idea. Apparently, yeah. Apparently somebody knew this. <laughs> yeah. I was one of many in line. So it was not this novel idea in any way. Shape I'm clearly in the wrong line of business because I do not fly <laughs> airplane kits. That's amazing. Okay. Well, so I want to get to the relationship part of that. Clearly, with the things that you're involved with, so airplanes, but also motorcycles, martial arts, I know that there are 
communities that are enthusiasts for each of these areas. And so do you find that those communities play into your overall relationship base? And if so, how? For sure. And I think, well, everything, even even back to HRE, I mean, I think the relationships outside in the areas that we're trying to do are always going to help lift us up. HRE is not a very big company, so we rely on relationships outside this building immensely. Our supplier base, our, our marketing partners, we have some very multinational corporate, big corporations that are our marketing partners, and we rely on them for a lot of assistance. In my own personal life, it's the same thing, right? There's flying communities. I belong to a flying club. And so building those relationships up is really important. And I'll be honest, I'm not the best networker. Like I think our, our marketing team is wonderful at that. I'm When it comes to HRE, I'm definitely in the background. I come in to make sure those relationships know that we can be trusted. So I'm not there trying to pitch HRE to anybody, but I'm there making sure that what we say we're going to do is going to happen, that we're going to back that up, right? So I give them confidence that they can trust us. And that happens with suppliers, it happens with marketing partners, and so on and on. And in my personal relationships, it's very similar. I think I think a lot of people approach relationships and networking and, and other things a little bit too transactionally. Mm-hmm. And I just don't ever approach relationships like that or partnerships, right? I mean, there's some people you have a transactional relationship with, but if I'm really trying to create a a network of partners or something, then I'm not looking at it as a transactional relation. I'm really looking, how can I support them? And if we're looking at how I can support someone else, then I know when I actually do need help or assistance or something, then I'll have earned that trust and I'll be able to rely on them when we need their assistance. And so we don't look at it like, what are we going to get from this? It's like, what can we give to them? Actually, we just started partnering with the North County Food Bank, San Diego Food Bank. Oh, great. Yeah, it was COVID. And I was like, we're doing well. A lot of people aren't. What could we do? And I looked into food insecurity and I'm like, wow, food insecurity is huge. And it's ridiculous that this is something that is in the United States. And so it frustrated us. So we started supporting them on a monthly basis. But then we started, we have a big open house where like 5,000 people come and Mm. we raised $15,000 for them. And we've done some other things. And and it's a way that we're starting to get involved with the local San Diego community. And that's unusual for us. We're so focused on what we're doing. We're looking at how, how do we support them? We're also doing that now with the San Diego Auto Museum down, to, down in Balboa Park. Oh, they're great. trying to expand and they're trying to, and we're trying to just bring some visibility and our own, our network of friends and partners give them visibility to try and help support them because we'd love to have a really wonderful auto, auto museum in, in San Diego. And we don't quite have that. And so things like that, we're starting to branch. I don't know if I'm getting old, or, but I'm like, we need to be responsible citizens in our community. Yeah. And that means we have to get out there and network and do that. And again, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you'll get this marketing, you'll get this. I'm like, honestly, our customers don't. That's not really, they don't care. I had to say it. For us, it's, you no. Know, how do we just become a good citizen and show that we're giving back So, Alan, I love the way that you and that HRE has gotten involved in the community. If you were talking to somebody who wanted to grow or cultivate their own professional network, what advice would you share? I think I would go back to, you know, what I was saying a little bit before is we definitely don't want it. You don't want it to be transactional. Don't think about it from the perspective of, hey, what am I going to get out of this? I think if you're looking at whether it's a personal relationship or something where you're trying to do the community, like us trying to support the food bank or trying to support the San Diego Auto Museum, 
It's what can we do for them? How can we help them? And that's kind of how we approach our, not just our relationships with those charities, but also relationships with our marketing partners and others. Like, how do we give back more than we're getting? And in the end, I think we all get back more. And so it's not about what I'm getting versus what they're getting. It's how do we, we lift each other up. You're like really talking about expanding the pie. I mean, you're, yeah, you're exactly. making it so exactly. there's more for everybody, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's a win-win and make it a win-win. And like I said, I, I've just been around a lot of people that think of things transactionally. I just don't think people should do that. I think you should just really try to say, hey, how can I help others? And if you're looking at it that way, then the help will come back when you need it. I totally agree with that. It's just not as satisfying when it's, it's just a transaction, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so based on that, what's an interaction that you've had? What's a relationship in your life that resulted in a breakthrough for you, either personally or professionally? This one was one where I think I just got some advice. <laughs> I'll be honest, it was a marketing partner and I was, it was years ago, but I was in the middle of maximum stress here. And there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of politics. There's no politics here anymore. I mean, it's just, we just don't have that. But back then the culture was different. I wasn't the CEO and, and things were, were much more challenging. And I was really struggling and trying to please people that I that trusted me and also please others the powers that be and this person pulled me aside and said Alan you know what to do you know what the right thing to do is just be brave just oh. be brave and do it <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh I've been a coward you're right I've been trying to please everybody I can't do that and so I stopped and I'm like I'm gonna do what I think is the right thing to do and those people that didn't believe in me, you know, the powers that be that I was so worried about trying to convince, they didn't appreciate it at first because I <laughs> wasn't going along with what they wanted to do. But today, yeah. those people definitely trust me. They know I'm genuine. They know what I was doing was for the right reasons. It wasn't for myself or anything else. And they were able to see that I had everyone's best interests at heart. And so when you're in a situation like that and you don't know what to do, do the right thing. Mm. Always do the right thing. Don't do the easy thing. Don't do the thing people are telling you to do. Don't worry about your reputation. It's not about what others think of you. It's who you are. So you have to do the right thing. And, that, and sometimes that takes being brave because it's scary. And then the question becomes, where does the courage come from? So bravo to your marketing partner. Where did you find your courage? How did you do that? Well, I grew up in Las Vegas, and you had to, in the 80s, I got you, had it. To be tough. you had to be tough. Yeah, I got it. A little experience didn't hurt, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But I mean, I think that's one thing I teach my kids. Like, look, bravery comes with fear. If you're just blindly doing it, that's not bravery. That's just foolishness, right? Like, You have to be afraid in order to be brave. You have to do something that you're afraid to do. And that's tough. And I'm not like super brave all the time. That's not. <laughs> yeah. But we don't need to be, right? But in the moments that count, it counts. So that's it. That's exactly that's right. That's exactly When other people are counting on you, that's when you need to. Yeah, I, I love that. So I have a couple of fun questions to ask you here as, as okay. we begin to, uh -oh. to wind up. <laughs> so if you could meet anyone, living, not living, fictional, non-fictional, who would it be and why? Yeah, at the risk of, you know, picking a dead white guy. Uh, 
one of my longtime heroes has always been Charles Darwin, and I have a oh, picture great. of him in my office. I've always said if I wasn't an engineer, I would have been an evolutionary biologist. And nice. I love studying that. And the more you, the more you know about evolution and really understand it, the more like nature, it's fascinating. It's beautiful. You see why things are the way they are. And it just, it like opens your eyes to the world and that fascination I just love. And so if I were able to just sit with him today with all the technology and all the insight we have and just have a conversation about what he thought and how he had got so much of it right and uh, over a hundred years ago and to see how much it's shaping our world today that would be awesome okay that's a super super fun answer i hope that you have a supply of finches at home that you're watching <laughs> <laughs> we do actually that was one thing with covid we're all turned into bird people in my house we're all watching right, that's good. And there's totally a ton of finches out back perfect <laughs> perfect feed some of them don't feed some of them see what happens yeah. <laughs> it'll be like you're having a conversation with Charles himself. I love that. I love it. <laughs> so one more. What's currently on your nightstand? Oh, there's a lot of really boring books about flying. <laughs> but there is one book that I read recently, and it's not a new book, but it's called Grit from Angela Duckworth. And it really resonated with me, the whole concept of how talent plus effort equals skill, and then skill plus effort equals accomplishment. I mean... That's something I'm really trying to do in my own life as well as convey to my children and, and also the team. I actually bought a whole bunch of copies and brought them to the office. <laughs> that is a good one. You know what? If you're going to have a book, that's a good choice. That's a really good choice. I think she was a MacArthur genius, and I agree with you. I think that is that's a great book really for anybody, and it doesn't just have to be about business. I mean, I think yeah. it's kind of back to what we were talking about. It's about life. It's about bravery. So. I think that's really cool. Really cool. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast. I so enjoyed talking with you. Please be careful in that airplane. <laughs> if I want to learn more about you and HRE Wheels, where should they go? Well, we're all over social media. I think we have over 800,000 followers on both Instagram and Facebook. And obviously our website, hrewheels.com, is a great place to start. Well, Alan Peltier, thank you so much for being on Enterprising Podcast. Great to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Enterprising. Be sure to visit our website, enterprisebank.com slash podcast to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in today's program, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or telling a friend about us. Enterprising, powering business leaders, one conversation at a time. The views expressed by enterprising presenters or guests are those of the presenter or guest, and not necessarily of Enterprise Bank and Trust or its affiliates. All content of this podcast and any related materials are for informational purposes only. Enterprise Bank and Trust does not make any warranty, express or implied, including warranties of merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose, and specifically disclaims any legal liability or responsibility for the accuracy, completeness, or usefulness of any information presented. Enterprise Bank and Trust is not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this podcast. All statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.